32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Nearly. <laughs> oh my God, so close. We usually take a county, dive into an issue relevant to that glorious county and then see where in the world it brings us. But for the foreseeable future, we're focusing on the issues the COVID-19 pandemic is raising. This week, we're looking at the power of adapting. We're looking at what research is showing us about how people are adapting in lockdown beyond just adhering to measures. Very interesting and taps into your much loved um, psychology, behavioral science how will society progress type vibes, Andrea? Well, obviously, as a professional psychologist myself, mm. it just is the thing that like, I was about to say something else, but I won't. Anyway, yeah, it makes, makes me tick. Uh, another thing that makes me tick is patrons. We are very grateful for all the glorious patrons that have come on board since Corona has hit. Um, and before that, obviously, um, we have actually sent some rewards. Can I get a Bula bus for Woo! that happening? It's, and the crowd goes wild. The crowd goes wild. Finally. It's like a CC Peniston song. Finally. Um, but anyway, so the rewards are going out. People are signing up and we're very super appreciative. And if we could keep that uh, ball rolling, that would be absolutely stunning. Um, and it's very easy. You just go over to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and then click whichever tier you'd like. It can be as little as $3 up to, um, I think it goes up to 29 or something, but that's only for our moms. It's called, is that you mom tier? But anyway, see how you go. Have a look at the tiers, see what fits you best. And for, as every podcaster says, the price of a cup of coffee a month, you could be part of our gang. Not that you can buy coffee at this moment, but thank you so much to all of our, well, you can. You and, not that you can and not that you can't be, buy into being part of our gang. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yes, thank you all the patrons. Woohoo! Now, state of the nation. Um, tell us, oh no, hang on. Let's, before we talk about how Ireland's feeling, let's talk about how we're feeling. Harry. You go first this week because I keep forgetting to ask you after I spill my guts of emotions <laughs> and then I'm like, anyway, let's move on. That's enough about me. <laughs> um, how am I feeling? I keep hearing people talk about the new normal, but I don't think this is ever going to be normal. I have a lot of feelings about how difficult and discombobulating it is um, to hear all of the statistics of people who've died because they're not statistics. All of these people have families and friends and loved ones and all of those people are going through extraordinarily difficult time. It feels very surreal in a very particular sense because it's every so much stuff is so unseen. You know, we're literally hidden away in our homes if we're lucky enough to have homes and all of this stuff is happening outside, but we can't see it. It's not tangible. It's not like a natural disaster that is very visible. It's not a single event. So I think that that is causing some kind of cognitive dissonance along with all of the weird new behaviors that we have to adhere to. So I don't know. At the same time, I think that there is, for people who haven't been directly affected by somebody being seriously ill or dying, there seems to be a weird lightness of energy about the place that maybe people are becoming accustomed to not filling their days with stress and commutes and um, stuff about, you know, office politics or whatever. So I don't know how I'm feeling. And I'm not sure if I've really known how I'm feeling since this began. 
How about you? I have a cognitive dis... to say that word again? Cognitive dissonance. Yes, thank you. One of those. Um, Except one of those. Thank you very much. Uh, One for everyone in the audience. But I have it with my own body. So in my mind, I think I'm doing fine. And I'm like, okay, I am actually adapting really well to lockdown. My garden is looking stunning. I'm really, in fact, quite enjoying it. But then I think I was convinced I was having a heart attack. So um, which was, in fact, a panic attack. So I feel, and I'm coming out in hives. So I feel like my body's trying to tell me I'm actually not doing okay. Mm. But in, I feel like I'm doing good today anyway. I, I think this is the difference as well between, or the distinction between like anxiety attacks and panic attacks. I was talking to my girlfriend about this last night because of, as we've spoken about before, I was suffering from quite bad panic attacks over the last few years. And in particular, like in the run up to this and they've stopped, um, which is, a, which is strange. Um, but I think uh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I and think maybe it's, yeah. we should dive into that. It's just so weird that in a time that anxiety levels are getting higher, your anxiety attacks are getting lower. Well, I think this is, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, like this difference between anxiety attacks and panic attacks. So anxiety attacks are very rational in a way, like you're responding to a rising feeling of dread or anxiety or worry or stress or nerves in the moment. And it's very tangible, like you can make the connection between how you're feeling to what is actually happening, like a massive type of stress or barrel of nerves that has a causation. But panic is very different because and panic attacks are very different because you are um you know just going about in the world living your life or whatever and all of a sudden this attack comes on you and that what what I always often feel what makes panic attacks just much more traumatic really because there are uh, can often be like very few alarms uh warning you that this is going to happen and it can be very like weird and frustrating and actually compound the panic because you're just like why am I feeling like this why is my chest tightening why do I have this weird pins and needles thing all around me like why why do I just feel like I I need to escape my body all of a sudden I can't so I think that you know the panic attack thing comes from a much more uh, deep suppression or experience of stress of trauma of all of these things that are actually kind of living in our bodies and we're maybe not giving them an outlet or don't even understand that they're there. And then they like try and burst out and reemerge. And now often this happens at a time of great stress and overwhelm as well. Um, What, What I would love to know, though, is because I've been so conscious of trying to let it out so mm. I don't get panic attacks or because I've I suffered panic attacks years ago and I was like, okay, tune into it, let it out. How do you let it out? Because I'm literally doing all that, yet I'm still having a panic attack. I don't know if you really can. I think it's a really long process. It's kind of like, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, I was having really bad back pain. And so I started doing very basic kind of yoga stretches for my back. And the first few days it was like so sore, you know, the muscles trying to like resist and relax and letting out all of their pain and tension. And then I'm like maybe a few days or a week into it, I just realized that, oh, my back isn't sore. And like, so it's this complete unconscious thing. You're not, you're not necessarily making the connections. You're kind of doing these different things and taking on these different tools that are going to have an impact 
without you really being able to make the connection to it in the same way that actually it's kind of the inverse of the panic attack itself. Like you, you can't necessarily make connections in the moment to why you're experiencing something, which is why it's so like frustrating and weird that it happens. And it's the same thing with like alleviating pain. I remember the first time I um, was doing Pilates after I had broken my ankle and I was recovering with um, physical therapy or whatever. And I just remember being like, what is this bullshit like doing this private Pilates class and it's like you're just like literally moving my foot this way and that way and I just couldn't you know comprehend it kind of like CBT as well it's like oh yeah sure like count you know whatever and and then you realize oh actually these very very small tools do help layer up yeah and I just don't notice when they help but they actually do help so whatever it is that alleviates um anxiety is also useful for alleviating panic but I I do think panic attacks are very particular and until I experience them at their most severe I never understood um really that that distinction but yeah as I said I guess because the rest of the world is panicking my panic is in sync so it's just stopped it's so bizarre so that's how that's how we're feeling (laughs) so um let's keep going to the state of the nation Andrea, what is up in Ireland this week? This week in Ireland, Leo Varadkar, our caretaker leader, has signed back on to the medical register. Now, this was met by um, a fanfare of adulation um, of how amazing it was that to see Leo signing back on. But on the other side of the coin, it was also met with a lot of cynicism of like, Leo is looking for his uh, European job. This, he knows it's like Irish people will be like, eye roll, oh, uh, like an air on the phones is not going to make a difference. Um, it's just optics. Um, whereas globally, there's been loads of like, Leo signed on. So it's a, it's a, it's a coin of two halves, I suppose. There's adulation and cynicism. And isn't that the way of the world? Yeah. He's kind of, I think if he, considering he did train as a doctor if he didn't do it he probably would have been criticized as well um and i but i suppose it does stinger being a politician yeah i suppose you literally can't win it speaks to that broader kind of thing about leo that he looks more impressive from afar than he does domestically which i think is kind of true of a lot of leaders um but yeah i mean if he's willing to put in some you know work in solidarity with other doctors you know of course that's going to be viewed as you know PR or something but he is doing it so I don't know I mean I don't think I could really criticize the Taoiseach for doing that I mean I know I obviously criticize him for other things but I I don't know anyway go on Um, Boris Johnson is in ICU still yeah I haven't checked the papers today he's still there Um, well we will hope for his um, well-being right now so surreal um, though that's when the news broke that he was going in it's like Jesus this really is a crazy disaster movie we're living in it's like Independence Day mm. the speeches are very reminiscent of the in- Independence Day speeches um, there has been further restrictions put on for the weekend um, somebody was saying that Easter weekend could in fact be the Irish chant Cheltenham as everyone uh, goes to their holiday homes, which is absolutely bananas. And there was uh, there was footage of a queue of 
cars going to Wicklow and Wexford last night. Now, obviously, there can be a story behind some people might were coming home from funerals, etc. So it's very easy to just jump on and go, what are they doing? And obviously, if it's a single lane that each car is being stopped, that's going to give it the effect of a traffic jam. But you do have to wonder if people are going to their holiday homes, that is absolutely bananas. Um, but what that has on the other side of it is a power surge for the Garda Síochána to police social distancing. And there has been a lot of uh, red cards held up of warning flags. Um, Liam Herrick from the ICCL, who was on last week, was uh, speaking a lot about this. He's like, I don't, we've gotten, we've been policing by consent up to now. Why do we need to enforce this? And it won't be, um, it will be enforced on, um, probably not the people who you'd expect it to be enforced on and that we have to make sure and it is for four days but why do we need to make these drastic moves um and people are a bit worried about it what are your thoughts i think that you know any i think like arresting people or you know imposing a custodial sentence for something like this is really extreme it's super harsh i think ireland isn't used to these kind of super draconian um actions by the police i also think there's not much access to rank and file guardy um for the media in the same way that we have this culture of like silence um in the civil service in the in and in the hse and stuff from officials like when it comes to them communicating what they're doing uh, on a rank and file basis, which is why we have to have these like random whistleblowers now and then. I think it's worrying, you know, I think that um, I understand that there are some people who like want to like leg it from Ranala to go to Kinsale or whatever. And that's obviously stupid and selfish right now. Um, I don't, I think that when you introduce kind of draconian measures that are on the street and that are about uh, people you know, breaking rules or whatever. I, I I don't, you know, there's no, I fail to see how the type of like rich middle-class people that are being spoken about on, on the radio will bear the brunt of that. You know, I think it's far more likely that it's going to be, you know, young land, lads getting out of their gaff because there's chaos there and drinking cans somewhere in a park. I think, I think it's far more likely that people like that are going to, um, you know, uh, have to deal with with Gardy kind of uh, you know knocking around to them, but yeah, I mean the ICCL are very who who you know have spoken very strongly about this on our podcast are pretty you know you know saying that these powers shouldn't be used. I guess if they are used as a deterrent, if the idea of them uh, wards people off, you know, I don't know. I I just I just I I do not like seeing you know very very extended police powers anywhere and I don't think we're used to that kind of stuff in Ireland. I think that when it comes to Italy and France, I'm not saying that you know this is right either. What's happening over there? But there's there's a greater understanding about like oppressive policing there, um, and as a result, there are more cases of like you know police brutality and protests and all that kind of stuff and. Um, I just don't think we really have that culture. So that's kind of worrying. It's also about like, when does this stop? And is this going to be a rolling thing? And will they be reintroduced for every bank holiday? And what about after the pandemic? Um, So I worry about those kind of things. Another thing to worry about is tracking apps that are being developed at the moment. Um, There's one by the HSE. So you can tell if you've been in contact with someone who has COVID. Um, There is a lot of issues around this and privacy and something else that I've been uh, thinking about 
like I, I think that's terrifying that there's a tracking app um, and how much will that actually help in the slowdown of it um, and obviously someone who knows more about it obviously will there's obviously a reason for it but as well as that there's been a race to produce antibody testing which means that if you've had corona and have recovered you can go back to work but I kind of feel like there's immediately I was like well obviously then I want to get corona so I'll be able to get the antibodies to go back to living a normal life would that not be the psychology that might be dangerous with an antibody testing situation yeah or am I just really like, I mean, I think there's a weird reversal of stigma with COVID because it's like ordinarily um, diseases or viruses carry stigma. And I feel like with this, it's almost now stigma, like perhaps in the future. No, not now, perhaps in the future, the reverse will be true. So it'll be more beneficial for people in society to have had this so that they can that they then have immunity and other people who haven't had it are somehow like squirreled away. Whereas with other illnesses and diseases, it's it's a stigma to have had it and people who don't have it are view, are less stigmatized. So I think it's weird psychology about it. Um, but what's been happening in the arts? The big hoo-ha last week. I was banging on Twitter. Go on, it. you take take it away on this one. <laughs> well, there was a press <laughs> conference with Josefa Madigan and Kevin Rafter from the Arts Council, Tanya Bonatti from Culture Ireland and Pascal Dunhu, who was just like randomly talking about books, um, about these initiatives that are uh, meant to help artists. And they were criticised, you know, straight off the bat because of how um, they were seen as just so small and quite patronising. So the, the Culture Ireland one is a partnership with Facebook where you basically get a thousand euro to um, do create some... Create content on, yeah, for Facebook. Create content for Facebook. Now, a campaign, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Culture Ireland have basically... I got in touch with them and I was like, how did you partner with Facebook? Like, did this go to tender? Why are you partnering with Facebook? And they basically came back to me and they said that they were taking the lead from a similar project in Canada called Canada Performs and that they basically approached Facebook on that basis. Facebook gave them 50 grand... Uh, I think, or 50 grand or five grand. I think it was 50 grand or something. I don't know. A um, sum of money. A sum of money. Um, and now they've kind of, they're clarifying these things of like, oh, it doesn't have to be on Facebook and it can be on another social media platform, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's like really paltry. Um, but it also, I think, goes against the grain of like creating art is not just for making some content to put on on the internet. Yeah. Like, and also it's, it's like, it really limits, you know, what kind of artists can actually do this. Like how can a set designer or someone like create a video for Facebook live anyway? So there was that. And then the, um, department and the arts council had basically created this million euro fund, 500 of which came from, uh, the arts council's, uh, budget and 500 euro from the department to give 330 artists three grand in like this kind of accelerated grant scheme um, to again basically create content like work really work really quickly on something um, and uh, you know respond artistically to Christ or whatever and look the reason that artists were so pissed off about this is not just because these initiatives are so lacking in imagination or our very first draft or actually don't have that much money or that they seem to like misconstrue what art and creative process is because they do all of those things but also just because of the context of how beaten down artists have been 
you know, and how much at the end of their tether so many artists are, how stretched the sector is, how worrying it has been ages before this happened with regards to artists' mental health, their poverty, all that kind of stuff. And then this was compounded by Joseph Madigan at the press conference, just like saying all this random stupid ideas that they have, like, you know, we're one of their things that they like bundled into this was like this shine your light or shine ally. They still don't seem to have come up with the hashtag where they're going to like illuminate buildings. And Joseph Madigan was saying, you know, you can do different things like bake a cake and put candles in it, even if it's not your birthday. It's like, are you <laughs> kidding me? First of all, it's so juvenile. Now, I know that part of it is to like involve young people, but what does this have to do with artists? Like, does this minister understand the difference between doing a jigsaw and writing a play? Like, and and um, it just feels really trite. It feels really marketing 101. It feels r- like turbo first draft. It feels like they didn't speak to any artists. And bundling those kind of very lame marketeery initiatives in with this really big sector that is really important, like maybe one of the most important things in everyone's lives is art. And uh, having these kind of patronizing things is mad. And I actually think it's crazy that they thought this stuff was good enough to have a press conference about that was live broadcast. It's like, ordinarily, this would be the kind of thing that you just, you know, put in a press release at 10 to 7 and send it out, hoping that it doesn't make the papers because it's so lame. But they were platforming this kind of stuff. So that, for me, compounds the fact of like, does the minister think this stuff is good? Um, Anyway, so... uh, a couple of different organizations have called for a boycott of it, including This Is Pop Baby. And then other organizations are like, this is trash, but we know if people need the money, like we'll support them. So I think all positions are valid. And hopefully just coming out of this, we can stop, you know, our paltry uh, approach to the arts, our patronizing approach, and basically just treating, you know, stuff that's actually really difficult to do and uh, really high end as some kind of like kids art competition. Uh, moving on to tax exiles. Tell me more. There is a little loophole that says if people are forced to stay here for over the 183 days that you have to be out of the country, um, you can only be in the country for. And if you go over that because, and prove that it's because of Corona, you don't have to pay tax. So there's a little cute extra um, tax loophole for our big spenders or big money havers etc and there was just a bit of an uproar about that in terms of um the comments leo made about people scamming the 220 euro up to 350 and then it was like i wonder does he know about this loophole where the billionaires are getting um a big tax loophole and because of corona so it's it's again the double standards of class and how much money you have but we'll move on swiftly from that um to the government formation we're uh, nearly there with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael um but there was a an op-ed from Mary Lou in the Irish Times during the week basically saying um and uh, like there's been so much of like where is Mary Lou why isn't shocking and obviously it's not appropriate to come out fighting at this time we're all in this together etc etc but there, uh, it was uh, the op-ed was saying that basically the parties are co-opting the policies that uh, Sinn Féin and the left parties went to election with, and now they're gaining popularity using their uh, policies, which you can see right in front of you. So that is true. Uh, yesterday, um, BBC Newsnight opened with a monologue from Emily Mathis, who I love. Was, it Just was so. Love. 
Yeah. Lovely. It was just uh, really examining uh, who is actually being affected by Corona. And it's it's not just affecting us all. And we're not all in this together, that there are people who are more affected and that you can't actually recover uh, because you have a sturdy uh, personality and you're great at tennis, as was David Cameron <laughs> was hinting at about Boris. And oh um, so if you haven't seen it, maybe have a look. Um, and the two things that aren't really Corona related, but they are... Uh, they are as well. Um, whilst we're in the middle of social distancing and how that is challenging if you are in a place that you don't have your own home or etc. Um, and the challenges that co-living has thrown up whilst we're in the middle of this pandemic and dealing with that, D- Dublin City Council have approved another co-living uh, development in the Liberties just opposite Hen's Teeth. Um, and it's like, and there'll be a cafe and there'll be a hotel and there'll be and we'll sign this off because there isn't any other co-living within one kilometre. But there's a cafe right across the road. There's a hotel right across the road. All there is is temporary um, accommodation. There's no long-term accommodation going into the area. So you just have to wonder how the fuck that happened, like and how it got over the line. The councillors are, um, there's uh, locals are coming together to overturn it. There's a big story in Dublin Inquirer, which I would encourage you to have a read of. Um, and then the other thing is that somebody's sister is the head of the, cl- what is the clinical? Una, you oh, right. oh, <laughs> it's um, your sister. Well, yeah, uh, um, Aoife, my e- sister, is the clinical lead on uh, termination care in Ireland. Is that what it is? She's a consultant in the coom. Yeah. Um, and so there was some, a lot of, uh, basically like one of obviously there's so much shit going on with medical appointments and all that kind of stuff at the moment and one of the things was that people were really concerned that um women wouldn't who needed abortion care would not be able to visit their gps or they you know you have to this kind of thing of taking um uh pills under supervision and all that kind of stuff so they were basically trying to all of the stakeholders and that were trying to work out how could they do it and um basically they've figured out this thing of remote consultation for abortion care and and um it just, I think, will be a huge relief to a lot of women in the Republic. Mind you, um, and Aoife was on Sean work talking about it, and she did a great job. Uh, so well done, big sister. And uh, mind you, in the North, uh, you know, they're really struggling with this these issues. And obviously there's so uh, much more kind of fractured discourse there uh, with regards to how the UK response to all of this stuff has been um, a shit show generally. Uh, So there's, there's still, I saw BPAS were making a statement about um, potentially making um, pills available uh, elsewhere and uh, the, the struggle that women have in not getting a remote consultation. So that is, you know, again, uh, like so many uh, times over the years, you know, that these kind of things are afterthoughts and we really need to prioritize everybody's care right now. And it doesn't actually matter what your what your uh, medical um, disposition is. You shouldn't be at a disadvantage if, if you're a woman or a uh, pregnant person needing uh, abortion care. Um, and finally, Debenhams. Yeah, so... Uh, I was just just uh, on Thursday morning. Was story breaking about Davenham's uh, essentially going into liquidation in Ireland? Um, they've been in financial trouble for a while. Um, they said that when they temporarily closed their stores, that the Irish stores wouldn't be affected long term. That is now not the case. I think there's uh, somewhere between twelve hundred and fourteen hundred people in Ireland working for Davenham. So this is another massive blow, and it also I think snaps into 
focus um, our dependency on UK high street brands. Um, as we know, there has been, you know, kind of catastrophe after catastrophe on UK high street in terms of massive drop in footfall um, and, and the difficulty of, of renting kind of high street spaces and stuff like that over the last couple of years. Uh, so there was already carnage on the high street uh, impacted by loads of things, primarily online shopping. Um, but this is a real big blow to to loads of uh, different parts of the country. Um, and it is probably, you know, a sign of what is to come in terms of shutters going down on places. So, you know, if anybody out there is, you know, was working for Dabinums or involved in any of that, we're so sorry uh, about this. And, um, you know, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people in similar positions and there are people who already are in similar positions. Um, and this is, you know, part of the recessionary process that we're now going to enter through, which is scary. Uh, but again, at least everyone is fucked. <laughs> you know, I suppose that's some kind of consolation. Now it's time for our weekly feature, the Corona Correction. There's just one Corona Correction this week that we have. Uh, Andrea, what is it? Spain has moved to launch um, a universal basic income that stays forever, which is music to our ears and something that we should be moving towards. And it's something that we uh, did a podcast about, our Johnny Gall episode, a, a good long time ago, of the benefits of having a universal basic income and what that would mean. Um, so, yeah, we had yeah. the the guy from Finland who was the architect of UBI in Finland on. So it's worth it listening back to that podcast. And speaking of how people are behaving and what they need and what they might need in the future, uh, it's time for our main topic uh, today, which is all about adapting. Okay, so Finian Murphy is a marketing director with Core. Um, he is a fan of the pod, which is always good to hear. And Core is uh, Ireland's largest marketing communications agency. And one of the things that Finian works on is this really interesting research around trends, behavior, sentiment, and oftentimes things that kind of lean a little bit into what I suppose can be categorized as consumer behavior, maybe. Um, and, and that kind of stuff can give us a really good insight into where things are going, how behavior is changing and how people are adapting in different ways. Finian published a few bits of research in the run up to the general election um, that offered evidence preempting uh, that certain issues such as housing and health would dominate the discourse. And at the start of the campaign was giving some indication into a potential Sinn Féin surge. It's always interesting to look at different indicators in society about what's going on beyond traditional market research or polling and that kind of stuff. Finian, welcome to United Ireland. Hey guys, thanks for having us. No worries. Um, I've tried to butcher your job there. What is it actually that you do? How would you explain it? Yeah, well, we work across um, all disciplines um, within marketing and business strategy, but it's important to note, I suppose, that from a research perspective, we always try to remind ourselves that at the end of the day, we're trying to understand how people are responding to what's going on in their lives. So, um, you know, we can work in every sector from um, finance through to um, social enterprises, NGOs, um, and it's really looking at how people make make decisions. And now, of course, um, people are having to adapt very quickly um, in, a, in a difficult and challenging time for us all. So when it comes to these um, bits of research that you publish quite frequently, um, they can take stuff from everything from people's social media behavior or, you know, or the kind of discord, the general online discourse. I always find those uh, really interesting. How do you collate them and what what do you focus on when you're putting out these reports? 
So it's always important. I'm not a um, traditional researcher. I work with a, a team who have that speciality. But it's, I suppose it's always important to try to get the most representative sample um, of, you know, of a group of people, and it, often in our case, the general population. Um, when you start looking at, um, it might be social media trends or, or even Google search, it can skew obviously to those that are using it. So I suppose the foundation of what we look at is, um, you know, your traditional surveys with people. Um, and, you know, we, we'd sit down and we would figure out what's the best way to engage people on this topic, um, asking them a series of questions. And then supplementary to that, we spend a lot of our time um, face-to-face. Um, our team will travel across the country and, and sit in hotels and, and tease out the nuances of topics with, with people as well, which is always quite grounding because <clears throat> when you look into somebody's eyes and hear what's going on, in their lives, um, you know, it reminds you of, of often the more important things that, that matter to people. And what are those things that matter? What is the uh, results of your latest research and what was the research done on? So obviously, when the outbreak began um, in early March, um, we were keen to understand how the, this was affecting sentiment um, we've we've often done a lot of work on the values of society. Um, you know, Una mentioned when you say sentiment. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. Can you explain what that means to a non-marketing? Yeah. So um, I suppose how people feel towards certain situations. Um, often sentiment is viewed through the lens of economic sentiment. So whether or not people will purchase into the future. Um, I suppose we're looking at it as well from a wider perspective. How that affects the emotions that ultimately people, you know, those emotions will, will influence their decisions um, or, or maybe off, offsetting and, and deferring decisions that they're making. So we've been asking every week for the past three, four weeks now at this stage, um, three kind of different areas, how concerned they are about the current situation, um, what, how they view whether it's going to, you know, we're going to overcome the situation and who do they feel is handling it, uh, you know, in a good or a bad way. And it's been, I, I can talk you through a couple of, of, of those areas, but it's been quite enlightening, um, particularly as we kind of hold it up to the lens of this global story, which, um, as you guys have covered so well, it can be quite daunting and quite frightening at times. Um, but Ireland compared to the, the rest of the, the, the world um, is, is quite convinced of, of where things are going. What is that? What do you mean by that? So th- first of all, about three quarters of people um, absolutely are extreme or, or very concerned about um, the situation. Um, half of people would describe themselves as being extremely concerned. And I think if you were to look at that alone, <clears throat> it would suggest that that could be quite a paralyzing, um, you know, there could be a paralyzing kind of response if that's not an oxymoron, but that concern could translate into to, to doing nothing. In fact, when we ask people how optimistic we are as a, as a nation will overcome the coronavirus outbreak, um, there's a really strong uh, view that we, we are optimistic. So um, this week, it's 63% of the population are optimistic. Um, and only a small number, about 7%, are, are, are pessimistic, with a large percentage this week, about 30%, who are uncertain. And I think as we go into the second week of this, um, you know, probably the extension now, is, as all the signals are, that 
Um, people just wanted that clarity about where things are going. But when we compare that 63% of the Irish population who are optimistic with other regions, for example, the UK, US, France, Italy, obviously all are in different trajectories, but there's a lot more division between those who believe we can get through this and those who don't. And I think, again, and, and it's been a point that you guys have raised on, on the show, we've had we've had a great practice in the past decade of coming together, even on issues that we don't agree with, but going in a similar direction uh, together. And I think that's really coming true in the numbers that we're seeing so far. How does the sentiment translate into action then? Yeah, so we, we've been working as well with, with um, the HSC and, and Department of Health, and we can see a lot of the, the adherence to rules and, and restrictions. I think one of the interesting sections we've also been looking at is how people approve or disprove of the handling of the coronavirus by different uh, groups of people within society. And um, the general public feel that the local businesses and shops have um, very much stood up. And um, I think a lot of the shops and businesses, um, you know, like yourself, Andrea, you know, had made decisions early on to, to, work with with the workers and um you know protecting their customers and we're making decisions to to close things up very reluctantly but in in the interest of public health and 86% of the population believe local shops and businesses have handled this this well um i think a big part of that as well is retailers you know the the supermarkets local shops um have performed very well in, in terms of their response to this um, also, the the government and authorities, eighty one percent, which you know, in in normal times, a rating for any authority, uh, you know, in recent years of that that amount is staggering compared and compared to other regions, it's it's extremely strong. And I think what's wrapped up in that number two is, uh, you know, chief medical officer, um, the constant. Um, what what was critic critiqued that early on that information wasn't being transparent enough, but a very much uh, an approach that they've been taking is trying to be as open as possible with the information that they have, um, and that's at eighty one percent of the population believe the government um, is handling this well. But I'll 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 finish on this point in terms of how that optimism has translated into a general public. 69% of the Irish population believe other citizens are handling this well. And compared to last weekend, that's that's increased. So there's a growing view, and of course there's been anecdotes in, in recent days of uh, people heading off to court town and, and, and whatnot. Um, but the majority of us believe that the majority of us are doing a good job and um, I think that kind of solidarity and, and unified approach is something compared to other regions um, is, is probably going to do us very well. In terms of the behavioural changes um, that people undergo in this moment, um, maybe um, like you talk a lot about emotion and stuff in your research and sentiment, like what kind of behavioural changes would you be interested in this moment from your kind of professional perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's been described as, um, you know, a kind of a, a laboratory, a forced laboratory for behavioral economics and for, for human behavioral change. Um, all of a sudden, um, 
we are all in our own on our own labs or our homes um hopefully for most of us and <clears throat> there's kind of six different topics um that we we're going to be exploring um the first is um unsurprisingly around you know mobility um the fact that we've now um you know focused on on one location in our lives of course we want to we'll want to go out and explore again um but in the meantime i think many of us are realizing um that our our commuting time um could be used for something else and um you know absolutely not for the full population but for a significant number of a kind of service led country that we have um working from home is is it will be a, um, a big option in the future and i think more importantly um when we have the the headspace again to look at um climate action and the crisis that exists there i think we're going to ask ourselves about the potential of reducing congestion the influence of more sustainable um uh, way of living the second and somewhat related to that is food and health it's always a topic which we would work closely on with with various uh, clients um we're a very healthy nation in our behaviors and again i think people you know some of the 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 numbers that we've been looking at in terms of the growth of people cooking more you know from scratch and and baking um you know this may well be a, a moment where <clears throat> People are feeling that they have to do something and, be, as you've noted, being productive. But I think um, what we're looking at is 50% of people are saying they're doing more cooking and baking. Um, and even though we've got limitations in terms of our our 2K restriction on exercise, um, about a third of the adult population tell us that they're actually exercising more. Um, I think it's just fascinating when you when you ask Irish people to do a certain thing all of a sudden there's there's walkers everywhere every single night um but of course we're also adapting to to new kind of exercise regi- regimes in the home um so they would be as well two kind of short term um more medium term aspects that we'd be looking at and then there's a, there's there's a couple of others in the sense of um you know retail um obviously is um you know having there's a dramatic effect on that category what has been interesting in recent years is the, e- the locally um, e-commerce. There's always been a, a kind of a wish or desire, particularly from a generation who have grown up with digital channels. Um, and if you look at the most frequent shopping, would be around grocery shopping. Um, and there's always been about 25% of people who would say they would like to do it, but the capacity hasn't been there many of the supermarkets now are struggling to actually deliver on the orders that they're receiving. Um, and I think this is going to ask really big questions of what's the purpose for, from a customer point of view of me going to, um, you know, a, a big store um, and what becomes of those spaces? I think, you know, how are, are um, you know, there's obviously been challenges around uh, the main street um, across the world and, and retail across the world, but those state spaces would ex- still exist. And the questions that we would start looking at is how people will begin to choose the use of those spaces. And you know, if if habitual shopping like grocery shopping is delivered to your door, you'll still want to go out and, and use those spaces in a different way. So there's definitely a change away from normal, and we've heard like normal's been bandied about so much at the moment. The new normal and what is normal and I suppose one of the big questions that's really come up in the last while is um, 
can we go back to normal? And the fact that you really can't put the genie back in the bottle now of all the things we've been exposed to. Has there been a shift in where we go from here to not wanting to go back, but maybe opening up a new frontier? Mm. I, you know, I think it's probably too early to absolutely answer that. And we've been debating that amongst ourselves this week. I think the idea, though, of quite often, um, you know, government and, and corporations are kind of last to respond to the the current um, viewpoints, perspectives of people themselves. And I think well, the way I would be looking at this is it's essentially accelerating the change that was happening and it's unlocking um, what people have already wanted. The, the, the couple of the other themes that we're going to keep an eye on now is how, um, you know, th- there's suddenly now a domestic balance. So um, there's, you know, there's been such a <clears throat> uh, work, uh, and rightly so, on gender equality in so many aspects of society, but there's an immense um, gender inequality in homes. And in fact, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the household is the first port of call to address that. Now, all of a sudden, we have, um, you know, in heterosexual couples, both men and women in the home, both trying to do their best, um, you know, to, to maintain the relationships that they have in, in, in their worlds. Um, and both having to contribute to um, household chores and maintenance, domestic work, and of course, childcare. And I think that's probably something where, you know, when we come out of the other end of this, hopefully there will be rebalancing of those expectations um, of, of who does what. And I think what we have been seeing in recent years is that has been moving along at a certain pace, and maybe this is accelerating that change. Um, and then the other two aspects is is leisure and also relationships. I think with leisure, um, you know, we could be at a point where people are, you know, reconnecting with what they actually enjoy rather than possibly what is expected of them, uh, you know, in the outside world. So what I mean by that is we are, you know, we know that the increase uh, in book sales has soared. Um, people are I think you guys were talking about puzzles and jigsaws. We're, we're finding contentment in quite simple, everyday aspects of life. And there's been a rush in the past decade, particularly from a brand and, and business perspective, to suggest that uh, the generation coming through now of, of kind of younger generation coming through demand experiences nonstop, demand to be exploring new and novel things. And in fact, what we could be seeing is people realizing that they can seek a lot of uh, satisfaction out of more um, simple pleasures. Uh, and lastly, in terms of relationships, we have absolutely been forced now to reconsider not just how we're connecting with people, but why. And this, of course, I think is, is this is most fascinating because we've had a decade now where we've had um, the expectation on us all to broadcast the perfect life to you know, on average, 150 people or more. Um, many of those people probably mean very little to us, but of course, many of them um, are our close network. And I think as we go through the amount of video calls that we have to do now every day, we're going to end up filtering who's most important in our lives. And I think we're going to see reconnection in our relationship in a lot, lot more significant way. Uh, in many ways, we're going to have to be managing the this kind of shared trauma that we're all going through and you would hope at the end of this um, will that be kind of more real and authentic in our in our relationships not just with 
um, you know, with society and nation and companies, but with each other as people as well. That's all really, really fascinating, Finian, um, and, and so much to kind of ruminate on. And, and I think one of the interesting things that you're saying as well is a lot of the stuff that's happening has been accelerated. Uh, things are already kind of burgeoning. But one of the things that was definitely not happening uh, before the pandemic hit uh, was a crisis in advertising in media. Although, of course, digital platforms like Google and Facebook have soaked up a lot of um, traditional media advertising in recent years, uh, really to the to the detriment of uh, that industry. Um, what do you think about what is essentially uh, advertising apocalypse um, that's occurring in in media right now. We're seeing uh, pay cuts at Communicore, um, layoffs and furloughs and pay cuts at the Journal, pay cuts at the Business Post, Image Magazine have paused their uh, print publication. Um, you know, it's really, really severe. Um, what do you, what from an advertising perspective, how bad is it? Uh, and when do you think it will get back? to even a, 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 a little bit of, of what it was to sustain these uh, media products. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's an absolute challenging time for, for it's an understatement. It's a very, very difficult time for, for, for many of us across the sector. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, we, as we reported last week, our, our current forecast would be about 30% decline by the end of the year in terms of, you know that that changing um and when will that end i mean that that's entirely linked um to the to the pandemic and and the rate of how we managed and control the outbreak um, i do think though that we are um if you if we go back to those uh figures around public optimism and it's not blind optimism it's rooted in action as well we're confident that we will return but i think what we you know what we'll be returning to again needs to reflect the changes that have happened in people's lives. So again, we have seen, um, you know, an, an increase towards um, all channels um, in, in many ways, bar have for obvious reasons, cinema and, and outdoor, but, you know, whether it's um, what, what could be termed traditional live TV um has been hugely important in keeping us up to date and is a trusted source true to digital channels providing um, moments of, of relief relief and possibly escapism or or just you know blending back into the everyday um and advertisers and brands and those that we work with will and and are adapting to those new needs that people have within those within those channels so I think what we will begin to see, and it's it's right in many ways that um, brands are reviewing how it is that they're communicating during these these times where um, you know the focus is more on the public health than anything else. But we will see a return, and we're optimistic that we will see companies asking themselves also what else we can do for households, you know, during this and and post crisis. Um, in a way that ensures that there's a, a, a long-lasting effect rather than um, these kind of short-term sales wins. And again, I think from a business perspective, that's a, a stronger position, you know, from sustainability perspective than uh, just hoping that that there'll be a sudden bounce back and we we can. Th- there is no, there's not going to be a return to what it, to 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 what it is and what it was. Um, 
but that's not a bad thing. You know, everything should evolve. Mm. And do you think that I don't mean this doesn't isn't an attack on brands or whatever, but if obviously we're going through a pandemic, so that makes a big difference. But do you think now that brands have pulled back from trying to sell us and make us feel like we should have the perfect life, the perfect body, the perfect everything and that we're not trying to show that through our Instagram mm. and social media and all that jazz, that that is probably the reason why we're not on a quest for just happiness that yeah. contentment is over bringing um we're in a more true state of the nation as because we're not trying to be sold things etc we're just being yeah yeah uh, you know i i i'd i uh, get shot if i named any particular client for for good or bad reasons but i think um you know the role of branding um should shouldn't be uh, as you've described but i think there will always be there will always be services or products that we we do need in our lives and what i would i what i would cite is how some of the companies have responded during this crisis have been not only hugely practical but so heartwarming as well which you know that providing that emotion i mean the work of on post um has been you know so significant it's it's maintained obviously a, a vital infrastructure, even though many of us in recent years would think that it shouldn't exist, but it has to. Um, but just that idea of a postman or woman knocking on your neighbor's door to check in with them, they didn't have to do that. But it's true as well to a lot of the way they, they're, they've been approaching their brand in recent years, um, that it's it's at you know at the heart of the community. And many brands are able to to talk to that and I think you're right I think a lot of companies and brands will have to ask themselves why do we exist in people's lives because I think the response in a lot from a lot of people and customers will be that why do you why do I need you you're 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 not adding anything to you know you're not you're not you're not bringing me any joy um, or you're not bringing me any practical purpose so um it's a good it's a good brief to solve and hopefully the solving of the meaning of life for us going forward. <laughs> Just an easy little task there. Yeah, for yeah. Yeah, perfect. Thanks so much um, for, for checking in. Uh, really, really interesting stuff. And I think that, you know, we can be very cynical about brands, marketing and so on. But the insights that you gain from people does speak to a broader social climate, I suppose. Um, finally, how are you feeling? Yeah, um, initially absolute roller coaster um i think as everyone went through it i'm you know i try to i'm trying to disconnect more i'm really really bad at it but my go-to is excel sheets and as i look at the numbers um particularly when i look at our sentiment uh you know to look at our, our public numbers i'm really i'm 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 optimistic and i'm hopeful i think you can just be hopeful at these times um and I think we've proven, you know, time and time again in, in the past decade that we can get together on issues. So um, I'm, I'm confident in ourselves. So let's keep going and uh, stay safe, stay home and uh, keep doing what you guys are doing because I'm loving that as well. Thanks so much, Finian, And thanks for joining us. Uh, Finian Murphy there from CORE. Nice one. Getting in the sea this week, Andrea, hit me. It's not a very big political thing. It's not a big controversial thing, but it's so hard to get through. 
quarantine hangovers can absolutely get in the sea. There is nothing worse, I don't think, um, than hangovers during quarantine because A, you're having a drink and I'm a social drinker. So I only really like drinking with other people. But then you close your computer screen after your group Zoom and then you're just in your house really like, oh, now I'm drunk. And then <laughs> the actual dread that goes on for about three days, for me anyway, after a hangover is just the pits because you've nothing like to look forward to of going to get like nice food or oh I just the it's just the worst I'm actually uh on a sober journey now for the rest of quarantine so this could be the start of my so-called dry life so quarantine hangovers in the sea you go bam Fave bits this week. Uh, one of our fave bits was Emma Blake's um, Corona themed artwork that's popping up in her hometown and your hometown. My Andrea. Own. Yes, go on, Kingswood. Finally. Kingswood. Um, global domination we deserve. You might remember her portrait of Lizzo around South William Street that was amazing. Um, she has done a brilliant one on Julipa and uh, at the back of her gaff. And Cardi B posted her mural of her on Card- on her own Instagram, which was amazing. And uh, just freshly painted a brilliant um, sister, sister, Tia and Tamara, go home, Roger, uh, Corona mural as well. So we caught up with Emma to see how she's feeling right now. Hey, Una, Andrea, I hope you're both well. So I've been painting a few pieces around Kingswood, uh, trying to get the message across about social distancing in a way that people can relate to. Um, I felt like the infographics with all the information, people aren't really taking notice of them, especially younger people. So thought I'd do something that people can relate to a bit more. Um, so I've painted so far Dua Lipa, Cardi B and Sister Sister. Um, and if they're lifting spirits at the same time, then happy days. Uh, I'm a teacher as well, so I have been doing a bit of online work with my students. But yeah, I usually have a good few commissions on. So um, it's been good to get out and get some painting done, even though I haven't done any commission work on. Um, I was actually asleep in bed when Cardi B posted the photo. My mate rang me at 3am losing her absolute shit because Cardi B is her idol. Uh, so I had a little look with one eye open and then went back asleep because I had a staff meeting in the morning and some online teaching to do. So, uh, yeah, so I'm taking a break for a day or two, but I've loads more in my head that I want to get up on the walls. So, yeah, there'll be more soon enough to come. Anyway, see yous. I hope you're both well. Bye. Una. Yeah. Do you have some fave bits? I have some fave bits. Um, so uh, my fave bits this week are, I've look, I've probably already named these as fave bits. I can't remember. But the big romance in Dublin, which is one of my favorite bars, is delivering beer to your door. They are leader bottles of draft beer. They are cold and delicious and you can get them on their website. I would recommend. Also delivering is um, if you are in Dublin, although actually Big Romance do their whiplash can uh, deliveries uh, nationwide, I think. Okay, so another thing in Dublin is Bujo, which, sorry, applause to the vegans and vegetarians. It is a burger restaurant in um, the leafy environs of coastal Sandy Mount. Uh, But um, in spite of that, they make delicious burgers and I bought their burger home kit which is 12 burgers that you make at home. And it was 40 euro, which is kind of expensive. But is there that 12, much to making a burger? 
Well, it's 12 burgers. Yeah, they have their own really like super high quality beef patties and then their pickles, amazing burger sauce, all the buns, um, the American cheddar, all of that kind of stuff. So you make a burger like you get in a really good burger joint. So it was worth it for me and I'm sharing it with my friend, Colm. Hi, Colm. Um, And the other thing is Nick's Fish. These are all food and drink related. You can see how my quarantine is going. Uh, Nick's Fish, which is a fish supplier um, to like loads of really great restaurants around the place. Um, They're now delivering just to homes um, because obviously restaurants are closed for the most part. So if you go to their website, I think it's nicksfish.ie. They're delivering Dublin, Meath, maybe Louth. And uh, fish is really good and they make their own fish fingers. Lovely. So check that out. What are your fave bits this week? My fave bits are first Xanax. I (laughs) have never been a Xanax taker, but I've reached for it recently and I have to say, thumbs up, does the job. Great stuff, Xanax. If anybody wants to send us some free, uh, no, Xanax is actually very highly addictive. So you'd want to watch that one. Oh, they're micro doses. Um, Okay, fair. Yeah. And once my, like what I think are heart attacks and then see you later. Uh, Second up on my fave bits is (laughs) we did the pick your United Ireland quarantine housemates. You have to pick a house on our Twitter and Instagram. And if you haven't done it, go on and do it for the crack. We put in a few, a mix of some political people, ourselves, obviously, some of our favourite journalists um, and the Iona Institute in there to see which house you would like to pick. It's so hard. It's so hard. You know, Sarah, my girlfriend did not pick the house that I was in. (laughs) Like, how mean is that? Well, she, she lives yeah, with you anyway, so I know, I, that's a given. She literally spent half an hour on the couch. She was like, oh, but this one, but Ronan Mullen. Oh, but this one, but oh. So um, I think people really struggled with it. Yeah, it, it's quite like, let me just say that JLo is in house one. So um, they're and like people who don't listen to the podcast rude are answering and they're like what the hell is JLo doing in house one it's like obviously she's a key component of United Ireland's podcast thank you very much anyway yeah. it's loads crack Go I saw some, someone tweet who are who are Andrea and Una and you responded they are the presenters of the podcast and the person was like oh right thank you it's like first of all where are all these people getting their quarantine house from probably because Richard Chambers tweeted it shout out to Richard Anyway, go on. Uh, My last uh, fave bits is one of our listeners, Trish. Hi. Um, Heard my call out for the fact that I wanted some seeds and was finding it very difficult to get some. So she uh, passed my palm, crossed my palm with some seeds. So I've been green fingered. So this is a shout out to Trish, but it's also a shout out to gardening. I'm really enjoying being out in the garden and, you know, just being at one with nature and planting stuff and watching it grow and how the circle of life continues, even though blah, blah, blah. Clearly that Xanax is kicking in. Um, I'm only joking. I didn't take one today. Um, but yeah, loads of lovely fave bits. Also, some fave bits that you can do this week in our things to do virtually this week. Can I just say one thing about your gardening? Yes. Um, I too wanted to do some gardening. Um, so I went up to Little to buy some compost. If anybody in Stony Batter needs some spare compost, I thought I overbought. So I needed about 20 litres and I actually bought 120. <laughs> so if anybody in the Stony Batter environment needs compost, I have it. You can tweet us and I'll give it to you. This is my favourite thing about quarantine is just 
how everyone's just like, oh, community life and sitting out in their back in their front garden. The movement has gone from the back garden to the front garden. And we were talking yes. about the nostalgia of how it reminds me of my Kingswood life of all I could hear was uh, grass mowers all the time. And that's all I can hear now. And every, and everywhere if I happen to go to need to walk somewhere everyone's out in the front garden and standing at gates talking into the uh doors and it's 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 actually really nice um i have to say but obviously quarantine's shit uh here's some things for you to do during your quarantine life i actually have done the first one uh the Museum of Modern Art in New York have some online courses you can sign up for and one of my favorite questions they're going to answer is what is art? So I have signed up to the What is Contemporary Art course, but they also have fashion as design, modern art and ideas and seeing through photography. And mm. you can you can do it for free or you can uh, pay a fee and you get a cert, cert at the end. So you can actually be adding to your educational certs as you go through this time. Another lovely thing, Fleabag, um, the stage show is, got, is available to stream on Soho Theatre's uh, website and they are raising funds for various charities from the NHS to crisis charities, etc. So um, for all you Fleabag lovers, you can see the stage show. Um, for people who are looking for cook-alongs, there's loads of cook-alongs going on at the moment. Um, Aoife McElwain did one, um, uh, the, what, the sing-along social um, and, we, and it was a cook-along as well. So she did it and I hope she'll do that again. So keep an eye on her Instagram. But also Erica Drum is doing one on her Instagram, which is drums underscore kitchen um, on Wednesday at six and Saturdays at half seven. So that's every Wednesday and Saturday, something to do and cook along to. Um, belong to are hosting a fundraiser um, and it is a quarantine quiz. See what they did there. Um, it is being hosted by Bunny and that is on Friday at 8pm. And if you want to join their quiz, you can sign up on belongto.org. Um, the Merry Wallopers are, I'm loving the live gigs, I have to say. Um, I think maybe that's more an indication of I'm getting a bit older that I love to watch a gig from the comfort of my couch. Um, but the Merry Wallopers are doing a live YouTube on the 10th of April at eight o'clock and you can then support them through their PayPal link. Um, so I am adoring the do you know what I'm actually really adoring about this whole quarantine thing is that um, people are like, please support your artists, do the blah, blah, blah. Maybe support your artists all the fucking time. Yeah. Um, and last but not least, Blinder have released their back catalogue on Vimeo On Demand, which includes A Mother Brings Her Son, son To Be Shot, uh, Panties Movie, Movie Film, uh, I'm Not American, and also a shout out to Volta, which is a streaming service that has a lot of Irish indie films, which um, I think is a really good resource for right about now. The fun also soul brother, of, check it out now. <laughs> also, also had a tuna chicken roll this week. No, uh, speaking of the Merry Wallopers, um, other voices released a really nice video of them playing a song on a boat the other day. So check that out. Lovely. You um, finally, our last few words are: you know the deal by now, guys. Keep your distance, uh, especially if you're jogging. If you jog behind someone, they're. Uh, spritz that comes out of their nose and mouth travels back into your face so try and jog not behind people uh, keep washing your hands keep your sneezes contained keep yourself at home and keep a mask on um, but don't keep touching it uh, we have a tuna chicken roll which is 
Donna Summer and Last Dance. And the reason is, I just really can't remember the last time I had a dance and in a club and I really want to. So I'm this going is, to reminisce this. about the magical moment and how special dancing in a club is. But before I we do... This, no, hang on a second. Wait, I believe... Uh, wait. Oh God. <laughs> I believe I believe that uh, Last Dance is Panty's um, favourite song. Remember when we did our live at Electric Picnic? We um, did. It was actually at chicken roll, or Love not Sensation. Picnic, Love Sensation. Um, but back when festivals are something that I really miss. That's the place that I want to be when this is all over. Um, well, controversially... Now, I don't know if it's all whatever, hot air, but the Electric Picnic have said they're pretty confident they're going ahead. Good luck with that. Yeah. Well, we can Um, live in hope. We live in hope. We we live in hope. But I want to, um, my attention was drawn to a certain young gentleman who was on Clareburn the other night. He's obviously a big pal of the pod, James Kavanagh. Um, Tell me more, Andrea. So James has... Was uh, James basically? Will I tell the whole? I'll tell the whole story. The tell Claire the whole story. Bur- the Claire Byrne show did a call out for uh, what people are missing most, and James responded honestly with the thing he was missing the most was the sesh, Claire. So then they asked him if he'd do a little video, and so they could put it into this lovely montage of things that people are missing. And at the end of the Claire Byrne show the other night, it just had everyone being like, "I really miss hugging my friends. I really miss, you know." like kissing or whatever and then at the end it was just James going I really miss the sesh but don't worry <laughs> everyone because Chucky our sesh and it's just an absolute the- classic like classic yes everyone James like, like I never thought I'd hear Chucky our sesh on Clareburn but here we are <laughs> so we have a little message from the lovely James and remember this is only temporary Chucky our sesh our sesh will come. Let's dance. Let's dance for love. Yes, it's my last chance. Stop. 